Welcome to The Home Building Hero, where we help you become the hero of your new home by providing you all the information that you need. No matter if you're an industry pro, you're building, or you're buying, we got you covered here at The Home Building Hero. We're coming to you live today from the LP Studios here in Wisconsin. I'm your host, David Bellman, president of Bellman Homes. Thank you for tuning in today. Today's topic, why workforce housing doesn't always work. All right, I'm going to repeat myself because you're probably wondering what I just said. Today's topic is why workforce housing doesn't always work. All right, first of all, I'm going to talk a little bit today about workforce housing, what it is, and then some of the things that are out there and why it's important that we do focus on this. Um, I'm a big proponent, as you've probably learned from listening to my podcast on housing affordability, uh, because if we make all housing more affordable, that uh, lowers the barrier for everyone. And I think it's you know, a, a human right, obviously, for housing, uh, but more importantly, it's the American dream to own a home. So the more people that can do that, the better. But we've had a challenge over the last few years, and really the last couple decades even, that we're not building enough homes that people can afford. And home building lately has just become for for the, not even the move up home buyer as much as it is um, maybe the third or fourth home for homeowners. And it's become more and more difficult to service uh, that lower end entry level uh, or workforce housing. So let's talk about workforce housing. Again, I, I support workforce housing, but there's some reasons why it's not working. I'm not going to get into every single thing on this podcast because I don't have enough time, but we're going to talk about a few reasons why. The first reason why workforce housing isn't always working is that we don't even have a clear definition of what workforce housing is. It's not really a uniform definition. I found no less than three definitions in just a very brief search here uh, as I was preparing for this show. So on one site, they define workforce housing here in Wisconsin as households that earn too much for traditional affordable housing programs. Okay. But then I've also seen a definition for workforce housing that said that anyone earning 50% uh, or below of the medium income for the area is workforce housing. So one saying they can't afford traditional programs, another one saying half of medium income. And then I found another one that said that um, uh, it could be defined as anybody um, here in Wisconsin that makes between 60% to 120% of medium income. So that's the first problem with workforce housing is we don't really have a clear definition of it. I've also seen definitions for workforce housing that define it more by career. Police, firefighters, nurses. Okay. So we haven't really even gotten to the very core principle of what is workforce housing. I think the general idea is um, obviously for people that work, um, steady, important jobs, that uh, you know basically can't afford uh, the basic level of housing in the area. I do like the tying it to a median income of an area because I think we've seen there's huge discrepancies lately in some of the studies and the talks that I've given. You know, I've outlined what's really happened with wages and housing, and it's it's scary. 
you know, in the 1950s for twice your income, you could buy a new home. Now it's eight and a half to nine times your income. So that alone is one of the main causes of why um, we don't really have a lot of workforce housing. So that's one of the big challenges that we're dealing with. So we've got all these definitions out there. That's one of the problems. Obviously, the other problem is the other factors that tie into home building and and the cost. So we have the high land cost is, is one of the things. And part of that goes back to regulation. And 24% of the cost of a new home is, is due just to regulations. So the nice thing is, as some of these municipalities and some of the, the state governments around the country are starting to look at this, they're starting to finally get it and say, yeah, regulation is is definitely something that's within our control that we can do something about. So there are starting to see, and we're starting to see these programs pop up to um, help with workforce housing. And part of what they're doing is removing some of these barriers uh, and regulations to help with that. Because that's the one thing that the government can really help with is they can control what regulations they apply or don't apply to a project. And so that can be all sorts of different looks and forms, especially when you get down to the local level, it can be very different. Now, statewide, they can pass a bill, and then any municipality can then pick up those things. So there are some things that can be done on the state level, but a lot of these things can be done on the, lo the local level. And um, it can be all sorts of different things. So, um, and then and nationally, they can help too. The way I've seen it so far, and I'm still really diving into all this, but nationally what they do is typically put out what's called a subsidy so a subsidized home is um by definition there's probably a million definitions for this too so you can see why we have a problem here but subsidized homes are sold below market rates okay so that means that you know some other program government program is basically paying some of that difference so Let's say you can only afford a $300,000 home and you buy a $350,000 home. That other $50,000 is subsidized by some entity of, of some sort, okay? That's the best way I think we can define a subsidized home. So on the national level, they can you know do some um, subsidized stuff. So they're doing that by providing grant money or um, uh, you know tax credits, but typically federal dollars that goes to a municipality that they have to apply for, and then they have to meet certain criteria. And unfortunately, in a lot of these cases, that criteria is very, very difficult to obtain and get to, and it still doesn't, the numbers still don't match up. So a lot of times, especially when we're talking workforce housing, it almost has to be a combination of, you know, subsidized money, but also um, some other programs that are put in place to make it all work. Um, and it, it gets kind of complicated. But on the federal level, it's really just providing money to municipalities that they can reinvest into their communities. Um, on the state level, they can provide um, a lot of different things. So they can provide things like exemptions. They can provide tax credits to certain product that's built if it meets certain requirements. Um, they can you know, potentially remove certain regulations. And then on the local level, they can really do a lot with the regulations. So, for example, if they have a minimum square footage, they can wipe that out for a particular project. They can wipe out certain setback requirements. Um, they can wipe out architectural requirements that are um, in their, their zoning codes. They can even change the zoning. 
Um, so for example, you could have uh, typically in an area zoned, maybe they, they have a lot of residential classifications. They might have an R1, R2, R3. All of them have different minimums and requirements. They could just say, hey, you know what? Um, we're wiping out all of those um, or we're going to create a new zoning classification and maybe we call it R5 or R7, whatever they want to call it, right? And they can create a completely different set of standards. And they can do that under the, the, the term of workforce housing if they so choose to. But it becomes all political, right? It becomes something that they have to now defend in their municipality because you're going to have some people that are just not going to be for it, especially if you own a half a million dollar home across the street and a new subdivision is going in with workforce housing, affordable housing, whatever you want to call it, whatever we want to define it, subsidized housing. They're not going to like it because they're going to say, hey, I have a half million dollar house. Now you're putting $250,000 homes in there. You're going to hurt my property value. The reality is that doesn't really affect it, especially when it's on a separate property in a different area. Um, it really doesn't affect it because one, they're going to be very different product. Uh, we have different houses all over every municipality and homes, you know, bigger, nicer homes sell for more money than smaller, um, more basic homes. Um, location obviously is a factor as well, but it really doesn't adversely affect the property values. In fact, in, in, in many cases, uh, I would argue it improves the property value. And the reason is because perhaps you have a blighted property next to you. And now you're putting in something that actually has better value than it did before. Maybe not as high a value as you have, but it does have a higher value than before. So that's, you know, sometimes the way you have to approach these things. So you can see that, you know, there's a lot of parties in play on this. So that's why it gets so complicated. And, you know, ideally, in order to make workforce housing, you've got to have all three levels of the government playing together to make it work. Um, but, but one of the reasons why this is so very important is we've seen this in other areas of, of the country, and, and I've seen it in our state. For example, the city of Sheboygan here in Wisconsin, they have a huge problem. They have a lot of businesses, manufacturing and things like that in their area, and these companies are booming and doing well, and they're very pro-business, but the problem is they cannot get any workers. They can't get workers because they don't have any houses for them to live in. So people are like, hey, that's a good job. Hey, that's a great wage. This seems like a nice area. Okay, let me go find a house. Oh, there's no houses for sale at this price point or under. And there's none hitting the market, and there's certainly none getting built. And there's not a lot of bigger builders in that particular market, for example. So they're, they're just not building homes. Because you're kind of right in between, you know, these other metropolitan areas, right? Sheboygan is kind of right on the edge of Wisconsin by Lake Michigan. You've got Milwaukee to the south by about, you know, an hour or so, hour and a couple minutes. And then to the north, you've got, you know, Appleton and Green Bay. So it's just sort of outside those ranges. And there's just not a lot of bigger builders there. And they're focusing on these other larger markets. So they're struggling because they can't attract workers, even though they have great jobs and they have some great wages coming in, there's just literally zero product there. So that's, that's a challenge for them. And this is, this is happening in a lot of these type of markets, these mid-size cities that are a little further away from the, the metropolitan areas, you know, especially when you get to that hour, uh, time frame for travel, you get past an hour, you know, it's hard 
as a builder to get trades to travel that long. When you're spending an hour behind the windshield to get there and an hour behind the windshield to get back, and uh, you know, people don't want to work 12-hour days or even 10-hour days necessarily. And so when you're taking two hours of a day just for travel, um, you know, that's an issue. And then you look at higher gas prices and that's an issue because again, if you're driving an hour, hour and a half, you're going to be using quite a few gallons of gas and, you know, at three, four dollars a gallon, um, that doesn't become as lucrative anymore. So there's a lot of challenges here for workforce housing, but there is some, you know, programs out there. There is relief. Um, again, there's a lot of different things that are kind of in the works, um, so WIDA, uh, which is a workforce uh, housing initiative here in Wisconsin, has just set aside $16 million to help create more workforce housing. And again, they're the ones that define it as households that earn too much for traditional affordable housing. Uh, the state of Wisconsin has recently put a bill together. Um, it's Assembly Bill 605. And that bill has a lot of things in it. A couple of the highlights of that are $42 million tax credit set aside for multifamily uh, builders to build a workforce housing. Again, it's a little bit of a iffy definition because, you know, if it's multifamily, most likely it means it's apartments. Is apartments really housing um, or is it rental? I'd say it's rental. But again, we still need people or places for people to live. And uh, um, if we, we have to put them in apartments, that's fine. But I think the goal is to get people from apartments into their own residential property. They also have some sales tax exemptions for building materials that go to workforce housing. So those are things that you definitely want to take advantage of as well. And then there's some other housing reinvestment programs that are part of that bill. So I'm excited to see those things and uh, bipartisan too, which is really great seeing both sides of the aisle come together for these kind of things. And uh, we definitely need more of that. But really, I think one of the big ways to solve workforce housing is, is that not only is it a bipartisan issue, it's more than that. It is literally everyone's issue. It is, you know, both both sides of the aisle politically, but it's also businesses, construction companies coming together and, and finding ways to create creative partnerships to get this accomplished. And there's just a lot of ways to do that. And so if everybody rolls up their sleeves and does a little bit, it can definitely happen. Um, you know, it's 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 kind of a mix of things, right? Like I, like I was talking about earlier, you know, you get some federal grant money, you have um, the state saying, hey, we're going to waive some, some fees and regulations, and you have the local waiving some regulations, and then you have a builder coming up and saying, hey, you know what, we're going to, um, we're going to mobilize and do some of these projects for you. Um, and, and in some of these cases, the municipality, the local municipality is willing to subsidize the difference on this. So even when, if all these things come together prior to the subsidies, it's still not going to be affordable because we're so far out of whack right now. Like the average cost of a brand new home in my market is $600,000, whereas what they're trying to do here for affordable housing in a lot of these areas is, is around $300,000 um, or under, sometimes 200, 250. Well, there's just too much money and too much cost to to try and get it down that far. You just There just isn't room, um, there isn't the margins. And of course the workforce and what we're paying construction workers is very high. So we, we have a real problem here. 
So what has to happen is a lot of times the municipality then is subsidizing some of that cost, meaning they're going to lose money. So if they build this home and let's say it costs $350,000, they may have to sell it for $280,000 to actually make it work and be a workforce housing for someone. So they're going to lose that you know $70,000 on that project. But when they look at it at the long term, the municipality is not really looking at profit and loss on this. The municipality is looking at this and saying tax revenue. I have a piece of vacant land that's not owned that's maybe owned by the municipality right now that's generating zero dollars a year. You put a house on it and now it's generating four or five thousand dollars a year just in property taxes. That will pay for itself. That will pay for itself um, in a certain amount of time, right? You know, if you're talking um, you know, let's just do simple math, right? Um, $60,000, um, let's say in, in loss, um, and, uh, $5,000 a year, right? So, you know, about 12, 12 years, you're going to be breaking even on it. Um, and then after that, you're going to be making money on it, um, and, and, and generating that revenue. Plus anybody that lives in your municipality is also going to be using your sewer and water services, um, they're going to be buying goods and services and paying property taxes in your area. So there's lots of other ancillary benefits. So there really is a lot of incentive to do something to create more housing affordability and workforce housing. But first, we've got to really come to grips with what is workforce housing, have a standard definition for it. And then we've got to be better about sharing the success stories, sharing the programs that are working uh, around the country so that we can create a model that can be duplicated and replicated and continue to refine that model until we can get it to the point where we're back to like we were in the 1950s after World War II where we were popping up these housing communities like crazy and building tons of homes and putting lots of young families in because that's what's at stake. A lot of these younger families just cannot buy a house anymore. They can't afford it. Um, they can't even get one because as soon as they go on the market, there's you know, 10 offers on it overpriced and they just can't afford it. And that's not really what America was founded on. It's not really what America was all about. America was a land of opportunity and the American dream of building a new home or owning a home. We got to get back to that. We got to all work together to make it happen. Once again, thank you for tuning in to The Home Building Hero. Broadcasting live from the Bellman Home Studio. If you haven't already, please make sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future content. Until next time, I'm David Bellman, signing off.